Hello and welcome to the Sacred City Life Podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean. This podcast is all about helping you follow Jesus in the everyday, normal rhythms of life. And I've got three men that help me do this on a weekly basis. Guys, would you introduce yourselves? How's it going? Alex Tate, Sacred City Youth Director. Sam Schmidt, Pastor at Sacred City Moline. Kevin Kinor, Biblical Counselor. All right. It's our desire to help our people think biblically mm. about everything that comes into their life. Yeah. And today we're going to step into the realm of politics. We know we got an election coming up. Things are getting crazy around here. And most people that I know just kind of go by their gut when it comes to politics. They look at two candidates and just say, well, I like this guy better than that guy. And they don't actually have a working political theology. Mm. So by that, I mean they don't understand political theory or where different branches of uh, philosophy on politics have came from. Mm. They don't have a, you know, a real history of politics. And so they just kind of go by their gut. And a lot of times people oh, just think that the Bible has nothing to say about politics, that, yeah. that it's separate. And, and part of this is uh, what we're doing is to show that Christ is Lord over everything. That's right. Mm-hmm. He's Lord over all, even politics. Okay. Yeah. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at an article that was posted on, on the website, Christ over all. And the article is written by Andy Nacelli, and it's called, What is the Spectrum of Major Views on Political Theology? And this is going to be a spectrum. He's going to give us seven kind of categories uh, where people have naturally fallen into their understanding of politics. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to put the show note, or in the show notes of today's episode, we're going to put a link to this podcast where you can go, because it's kind of a long-form essay. Mm-hmm. But we think it's really helpful. Mm -hmm. And he's going to offer us what's called a taxonomy. And a taxonomy is just a a breakdown of different theories. Let's just say that. It's a breakdown of different theories where you can say, okay, these people believe that. These people believe that. These people believe that. Oh, well, I'm this type of person. So this is where I I fall. Mm. And it's it's a helpful taxonomy Mm. to help us understand understand the spectrum of political theory when it comes to the government and religion. And we're talking about the government and religion because those are two things that are necessary for any functioning society with human beings in it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. We, are, we are all made religious. And so every culture around the world, there's been religion. And by nature of relationships, we have to create some form of government, some co- form of political agreements and cooperation to work with one another, whether it's two tribes coming together and, you know, trading and saying, stay off, you know, stay away from our women or no, you can intermarry. Um, this is our land. That's your land to today where it's very complex yeah. with nation states and all the empires and all the different stuff that we've got are going on around the world and mm-hmm. different makeup of mm-hmm. political theology. So, this um, article, we think, is at least a helpful starting place to, sure. to think through this. And uh, the first thing he's going to do is he's going to start with definitions. He's going to define for us religion, politics, and theology. Anytime you're going to debate somebody, anytime you're trying to understand another person's view, it's important that you start from definitions, mm-hmm. right? And so, Sam, would you... Uh, read for us his definition of religion. Sure. He says, religion is an organized system of beliefs that answers ultimate questions 
and commend certain actions or behaviors based on the answer to those questions. Okay. So an organized system of belief that answers ultimate questions. Now, ultimate questions are questions that concern God, the nature of the universe, the nature of mankind. What are we like? What are we for? What happens to man at death? How do we know right and wrong? Where do we get morality from? Mm -hmm. Religions deal with those things, Mm -hmm. right? We've been talking about kingdom of the cults, lots of different religions, and religions answer those ultimate questions differently, and therefore... Um, each religion is going to be a little bit different. All right. Now, what about politics? He says politics is the science and art of governing men. Um, and he says this article is referring specifically to pol- pol- excuse me, politics at the civil level of government or the governing authorities or what we would call the state. Mm-hmm. Okay. So politics, though some of us want to push away from politics and say, man, the Bible's not political or Jesus isn't political or Christianity is not political. I'm just going to get away from politics. No. Politics are necessary. Yeah. Politics is the science and art of governing men. And he's paraphrasing Aristotle there. The science and art of governing men. So there's politics involved in governing a football team, governing a work cohort, governing an office, governing your home, mm-hmm. governing a church, governing a state. Governing, governing a nation. So why do you think so many people, when they like come into church and they hear different things like this, um, they just want to leave because they think it's only a place for God? Do they just have a, a, a bad view of what politics are, or have they been hurt, or what are your thoughts? I think that is going to be probably unique to each person, but I think many, again, many people wrongly understand politics as just something that happens out in the civil school square okay. and not I mean when we say Christ is Lord that is a political statement mm-hmm. the first mm-hmm. Christians knew this that's why they wouldn't say Caesar is Lord right mm-hmm. and so they knew there was society-wide not just in the church not just in their personal life but society-wide ramifications that Christ is Lord mm-hmm. when we mean Christ is Lord overall we mean he's Lord overall he's sitting in the throne room judging nations right now so even like you talked about defining terms, do we actually have to define that as Christians to let people know so that they're aware of what actual Christ is Lord means? I think that's part. I mean, a lot of times people tend to reduce Christianity down to just a personal relationship with God and not understand the communal or covenantal nature of of what God is doing in his rule and reign entails. So it's not just Jesus is Lord of my heart, but Jesus is Lord of all the nations Mm -hmm. of the cosmos. Mm -hmm. And so helping people get out of that sort of individualistic bubble to see it more in the corporate sense, even all things, all people groups are under the rule of Christ. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. And so then he defines political theology for us. Yes. Political theology is a theology of politics, uh, particularly how religion and politics should relate to one another. So a particular view of political theory is a philosophy or a system of ideas that attempts to explain how religion and politics should relate. Okay, so we have these inevitable two spheres of society. I want you to think of two big circles right now. You have religion and you have government, okay? Political theology, or we could say religion and politics. Political theology is how is a is a theology of politics or how these two circles should relate to one another. Yeah. Yeah. Okay? That's what we're talking about. Now it's important this article uses the terms religion and government instead of church and state. Yes. Because church and state is not a helpful 
understanding because again we think like like Alex just brought up oh well the church has nothing to do with who you vote for mm. well religion does uh-huh. yeah. like religion does religion place demands upon us <clears throat> that we you know support we don't support wicked men and we appoint righteous rulers right that's what the scripture tells us yep. and so he's using religion and government or religion and politics rather than church and state right because if you think about like uh we've talked about sphere sovereignty before you've got god over everything you've got the household or the family as one organizing group you've got the state the civil government as the second and then you have the church as the third and the church has there there's polity in the church there's a, of a kind of organizational structure in the church and the state and the family are set up to organize in a specific way and how those relate to each other um, they all have their distinct lanes and when he talks about religion it's religion isn't just in that that third category of the church it actually transcends them all so what we're talking about how religion um, why religion is necessary for all civilizations is because embedded in religion are moral claims, yeah. these transcendent truths that will mm-hmm. dictate how we order our lives. The politic or the pol- political sphere or, or politics in general has to deal with the organization of those ideas. So we've got morality coming from religion. You've got the organizational aspects of how we actually execute coming from politics. And so it's right here is in political theology is where those two things meet. You've got the morality and the organization of that morality in a uh, how, how humans relate to another sense. Yeah. That's good. You think before we move on, you can define what a righteous ruler is because we know that we all fall short and we're all sinners. Um, But then at the same time, um, a lot of these political parties of people that are in power are not Christians, right? So can you define what that that looks like a little bit? Well, I would be speaking here from a a Christian perspective. Mm -hmm. And a righteous ruler would be be one who ruled according to the word of God Mm -hmm. and lived according to the word of God. Yep. Mm-hmm. So he would be a Bible-believing Christian who practiced righteousness. Mm-hmm. He followed the ways of the Lord. Yep. He condemned, righteously condemns evil. Mm-hmm. He promotes the good. He doesn't encroach, um, so he doesn't overstep his bounds. So when we're talking about these spheres, there's going to be some blending. There's going to be some overlapping, like a Venn diagram. And like as a pastor... I'm called by God to preach the gospel, to rebuke and and train up men, to challenge, to chastise, to do mm-hmm. all these different mm-hmm. things. I, I, I could say I could tell Sam, you need to love your wife, you need to do all this kind of stuff. And if he's if he's uh, becomes physically abusive, I can step in, yeah. right? I can step in and say you 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 don't have any right to do that. Mm. Now my jurisdictional authority would be. Uh, well, the elders could could fire Sam, right? Mm-hmm. That's a, and we could say he's not acting as a Christian; he's excommunicated from the church. Yeah. But I would have to communicate. I'd have to call the police, which is part of the government, Civil. to actually have him arrested. Mm-hmm. Right? I couldn't arrest him myself. Yep. Right? So, a righteous ruler understands how the church or religion and politics are meant to operate together. That God's given swords of authority to each one of those spheres. So he's given the family discipline, right? He's given the pastor and the elders discipline. We call it uh, the, the, sword, the swords of the spirit. We can excommunicate somebody. We can say that person's not a Christian. 
Um, we can bar them from the, the Lord's table. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We, can, we can do that. But he's given the actual sword of judgment and justice to the, the government, right? They can actually put someone to death mm -hmm. for, for, for certain crimes. They yeah. can lock somebody up, penalize them, do, do whatever, yep. right? So a, a, we would say a righteous ruler doesn't overstep his bounds, yeah. but he runs in the lane that God's called him to run right. in the way that God called him to run. Yeah, and this is why Paul calls the civil magistrates ministers, that they are not just people that other, you know, citizens have propped up and said this is who we want to lead. There's, there's actually an appointment by God for this person to lead and to rule uh, according to God's ways and for the good of the people to promote good and justice in the land. So that would be a um, uh, the way of looking at it from Scripture, but what about the political piece of someone else over on this side? How they how they both mesh together? Well, that's what we're going to get into. Okay. So that's what political theology does. There's mm. lots of different views than what we just ascribed to you. Yep. Mm. And so this taxonomy is kind of a form of a spectrum that moves from views that separate religion from the government yep. to views that combine. So if you think about it, on one end of the spectrum, religion and government are very separate, mm -hmm. all right? And then on the other end of the spectrum, religion and government are combined. They're on, those circles are on top of one another, yep. okay? We're, we are talking about a blending, a meshing, we're, mm -hmm. not, not a full overlapping, right? Mm -hmm. that's, that's, we would say that's our view. We think that's the biblical view. But this is a, this that he's going to give us is a is a taxonomy mm -hmm. that goes from they're very separate to they're the same they're right yeah. on top of each other mm -hmm. okay so we're going to get into these um, these views and the view number one is called secular suppression mm. secular suppression and it is the secular government suppresses religion mm. all right. So this position is the government and religion should be totally separate in the sense that the government should be secular because God does not exist. Now, right there, you have a problem in that <laughs> sentence uh, because that is a, uh, a leap of logic mm. that is also called a faith claim. Yeah. <laughs> if you can't prove that God doesn't exist, then you just can't, you can't just say that. That's a, you can't say that you're secular because mm -hmm. that's a faith claim yeah. right there. Um, but they believe the government should not merely separate from religion but should suppress religion. Um, a militantly atheist government does not consider its belief system to be religion, even yeah. though we know that it is. Now, a historical example of this is Karl Marx. Um, Karl Marx believes that, that government and religion should be separate, and government should actually suppress religion because, you know, they believe, you know, religion is the opiate of the masses, mm. and religion is harmful for society, and religion yeah. is bad, and we've got modern proponents that say, similar things. Um, some rather modern examples of this is the former Soviet Union. This yeah. is Marxist-Leninist atheism. Uh, North Korean. North, North Korea is a officially an atheist government. Yeah. And we see what, I mean, if you're not aware of what happens in, in North Korea, that the government itself becomes God. Yeah. yeah. And that's always going to be the case. Wherever God's pushed out, then the state takes over and claims to be God. Yeah. And now this is also secular progressivism. So I want you to see this. Former Soviet Union, North Korea, and secular pro progressivism. That's the LGBTQ plus yep. people. That's those who are saying, get rid of religion, mm -hmm. get religion out of the schools, get religion out of the government. What they want is government, big circle, overtaking religion. Yeah. 
over top of it. And when that happens, you lose you what like biblical morality that all vanishes because now the goalposts move of what's moral. Who determines that? There's always going to be some kind of morality, but what kind of morality is it? Who defines it? And then in that case, it gets put in the hands of the government where they get to decide what's good and what's not good. Right. Or it could be it could theoretically be still be uh, a democracy mm. and, it, and then it would go back to the people. But again, we've we said this before, if the people are evil, well, guess what? They're going to vote in evil rulers, mm-hmm. right? And that Bible tells us that that's a judgment. Yeah. Wicked rulers are a judgment upon a nation. Yeah. So we are, even as in America, we are under the judgment of God. Mm. We, we have wicked rulers, right? And, yep. we, and we know that. So that's Government over religion mm-hmm. and kind of government suppresses religion. That's yep. view number one. View number two is called religious separation. This is the view that religion, religion, here, here religion is the actor here. Religion must radically separate from the government. So we would, we, they would say there must be a wall of separation between religion and the government for the sake of the religion. Religion mm-hmm. must re- remain pure. So in this sense, there are distinct spheres that must not overlap because the government is worldly. So all government is worldly. You know, religion is otherworldly. So we're going to really separate as much as possible. In these views, also people, Christians, believe that they must separate from the government. They must not wield the sword as combatants. So not be in the military, not be police officers, not be judges, uh, not be in politics, because to do that would be to cooperate with a sinful institution. Yep. Now, the historical examples of this are, are the Anabaptists, mm. all right? And modern examples are traditional Mennonites. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're, so think of them as like a, almost like a monastic mm-hmm. community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They are trying to pull away from the world to create their own uh, pure religion and letting the world do what the world wants to do. Yeah, and I think it's important in looking at these first two political theologies. The first one says the state has to squash religion, um, but the reality is they effectively become God, right? And in the second one, it says, hey, the church has to completely separate from the government. Think about the word government, govern. It means, I think in the original Greek, it's like to steer or to direct, right? And so in attempting to separate from quote-unquote government, they're becoming their own government, right? They're, they're attempting to become their own governing society. And so when we look at these first two, um, each, each sphere, church and state, or, you know, the sacred and the secular, if you want to look at it that way, they, in their attempt to um, abandon the other one, they actually end up taking on that role, taking on that power. They do, and they also... To use an illustration of Jesus, they take all the yeast mm. out mm-hmm. and they move to their own place. So in, yeah. in other words, they're, they're pulling all the light out of the darkness and trying to create their own little light community. So obviously I, 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 I reject this view. I reject the first view. I reject the second view. Mm-hmm. I think there could be seasons mm-hmm. where you have to do this. You're in China right now yeah. and they're, like you're not, you can't influence politics. You can't be involved mm-hmm. in them as a, as a Christian. And so, yeah, that, that's what you have to do. You have to go form your little 
this is like a, the Benedict option, right? Mm -hmm. you, yeah. you, you go yeah. and you, that was re recently written, you pull away and you just create your own society. And yeah, you govern your own society and that can be good, mm -hmm. but in effect, you're saying Jesus isn't Lord over the government and the government can go to hell. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Which, which is probably going to create more problems for you down the road. Right. And your kids. And I think it's a, a neglect of the Great Commission to disciple the nations where we're called to bring the salt and light into the world as Christians. And then you're showing that, hey, we actually are not interested in doing that. We just want to be really, really salty and really, really bright in our own little enclave. And so we neglect the Great Commission. Yep. Okay. View number three is called religious neutrality. This is this view believes that the government must remain religiously neutral. So in this view, the government is the one sep creating the wall of separation. And the gut that it believes that the government and religion should be separate in the sense that the government should be religiously neutral and particular religions should not influence the government. The government may be religiously neutral in one of two ways by one, by promoting no religion. Mm. That is a, pluralistic secularism, which we believe is itself a religion, yeah. that does not necessarily deny God's existence, but wants to keep the peace between opposing religions. Now, th this is functionally impossible. Mm -hmm. Specifically with Islam. Islam mm -hmm. does not cooperate. Is not, Islam does not submit. Islam wants world domination. Mm -hmm. It's in their early writings. It's what Muhammad believed. It's what Muhammad taught and they will convert at the sword or practice jihad. Um, so there is no, this is a myth. There is no religious neutral space with Islam, all right? Islam wants to take over. Mm. You, you, we're seeing that around the world. Like you, you can't have a, you know, a person that wants to kill you and, blow you and is willing to blow you up and do these different things and try to have peaceful dialogue right. and act like this is a neutral space. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. Or number two, by promoting a civil religion which is, quote, a set of practices, symbols, and beliefs distinct from traditional religion, yet providing a universal values paradigm around which the citizens can unite. So this is basically creating a, well, a civil religion. So, okay, and, and this happens, this has happened in the United States for a long time. So we, we say to, to many Muslims, you can come over here and <clears throat> you can practice your religion over there but you can't bring those values of Sharia law into the government. Right. Right. It's kind of a, a lowest common denominator situation. You're trying to pull, pull from everywhere, make everybody happy. And uh, in the process, you actually make everybody upset. Yep. Some historical example of this is just called classical liberalism. This is what we, well, we're, we're more in progressive liberalism now, but John Locke, John Stuart Mill, this got an emphasis on the free market to some degree. Um, well, America, it says this, to some degree, America had a Protestant civil religion until the 1950s. Um, it influenced largely by Protestant Christians and then moving towards liberalism in the past couple hundred years. Uh, libertarianism, this has got an emphasis on individual autonomy. Mm -hmm. So just keep the government out and I get to do my own thing, mm -hmm. basically. And then progressive liberalism, this is the emphasis on the welfare state and freedom from traditional se mm. sexual ethics, right? <clears throat> Modern examples here are John Rawls, who emphasizes religious neutrality in the government. Now, um, we've been practicing, I would say, view three for a long time. 
religious neutrality. The government must be religiously neutral. And we're, I think this is what we're, we're coming to a clear end of, of this belief because we're seeing now that secularism and progressivism and all these different things, they're not religiously neutral, mm-hmm. mm. right? They're, they're laden with values, sexual freedom, sexual promiscuity, um, you know, all of these different things, they have their own moral values, yeah. right? Yeah. And so they're, where are they coming from? They're coming from somewhere. And whatever your ultimate source of value is, that thing is your God. So there is really no such thing as religious neutrality. No, in not the, at all. In, in, the, in the spheres, okay? View number four is called religious influence. This is the view that the government should not promote, or I'm sorry, should not promote only one particular religion, yet religion may influence the government within limited parameters. This position believes that the government and the church are separate in the sense that they have distinct God-authorized jurisdictions. God authorizes the government to wield the sword, which a government may justly do against an individual Christian who's broken the law. And God authorizes the church to exercise the keys, which a church may rightly do by refusing to affirm that an individual, individual person with the government authority is a Christian. The government should not exclusively promote a particular religion. The government recognizes religious freedom and does not institute a state church or spread doctrine that is explicitly Christian. And the government should not restrict the spread of false religious beliefs. So this mm. belief, the government should not refuse to allow a mosque to be built in the town square. So this is, a, it, this is very similar to view three, that it's, it's religiously neutral, but religion may influence the government. An individual governmental authority, like let's say a U.S. senator, he could argue for a political position based on religion, and the government may or may not adopt that position, but it's not on the basis of religion. Mm. So he can he could be arguing from Christian principles, but then the government can't accept those on religious pr- religious principles alone. They've got to be backed up by rationality, scientific ba- backing, some something else. Mm. <clears throat> But this view does believe that the public square cannot be religiously neutral. It is a religious battleground. For Christians, the church's mission is to make disciples. Individual Christians should significantly influence the government. This means this view believes that Christians should be in the government Mm. and influencing it to the best of their ability. But it believes that the government should not institutionalize Christianity. Like they shouldn't put the Apostles' Creed in the Constitution. Now... Some historical examples, most Baptists, uh, Second London Baptist Confession guys, most Baptists, this is their understanding of the government. I think most of us growing up in the Midwest, this is probably the understanding of the government that we grew up with, that religion and government, they're separate, but there's no real neutrality. And and what we need is we need Christian lawmakers and we need Christian people in there influencing the government to the best of their ability. Mm. Yeah. But, but Sorry, go. church and state still remain sep- very separate. Yeah, and I think one of the things that's attached to this goes back to that individualistic mindset. So it's okay for individuals to bring their faith convictions in, mm. but it's not okay for a, a corporate sense to adopt those on yeah. religious grounds. It has to be backed by something else. And so there, there again, you see, okay, as an individual Christian, I'm able to take my faith into the public sphere, 
but I can't in the public sphere say, okay, now this is what we're going to do because of those convictions that I have and make sort of a universal truth claim. Yep. Okay, view number five is called Christian government. And this is the government and religion overlap. All right, I think um, that this is, I'm just going to say right away, this is what I believe. This is what I think scripture actually teaches, that the government and religion overlap. So hear that. The sphere of government, the circle of government, and the sphere of religion, they actually overlap like a Venn diagram here, okay? You can't separate them. You can't create a hard and fast dividing wall. Mm -hmm. Um, I read read recently in a book that the, the guys who were writing the First Amendment where supposedly there's a wall of division between first and uh, between church and state that we've been told all all our life, they wrote that and they then they went into church that met in their Capitol building. <laughs> all right, so these guys were not inconsistent. These guys were not saying there's a hard and fast dividing wall that that a state government can actually say we are reformed Christians, we're we're Presbyterian in this state. Why? Because they had church in their Capitol building, right? So by labeling view five as Christian government, the author here is using specific, uh, the specific adjective Christian instead of the more general adjective religious because this view is peculiar to Protestant Christianity. In other words, out of the Reformation, this view comes out of the Reformation, all right. This is how our country was founded. This is what was happening in the colonies. This is, if you go back and read the Mayf- Mayflower Compact, this is traditional Protestant Christianity. This is nothing new. Mm. All right. This is a recovery of something old. Here's the position. The government and the Christian church are two God-ordained institutions that have distinct and overlapping God-authorized jurisdictions. And they should work together under God's ultimate authority, which is scripture. For Christians, the church's mission is to make disciples of all nations. Individual Christians should significantly influence the government and the government may institutionalize Christianity to some degree. You could put the Ten Commandments in courthouses. Sabbath day. for, For an example, you could ban any trade except maybe essential work or whatever, on the Sabbath. You could have Sabbath laws. You could have, you know, different things like that. You could ban blasphemy laws. You could ban satanic statues from public property. You could do such things. That'd be nice. The government should identify as a Christian government in the sense that the laws and customs it promotes derive from the ultimate authority of God. So you could base a, a Christian government upon biblical standards, let's just say the Ten Commandments. The governing authorities should know that they are accountable to God for how they rule. Mm. And it is fitting for the government to exhort citizens to fear the living God. Now, you could go back. You look at Washington. You look at Adams. You look at the majority of our founding fathers. You look at the majority of our early presidents. They all referenced God. They all they had national days of prayer. Mm-hmm. I mean, Abraham Lincoln called national days of prayer. They knew we were a Christian nation, and they knew our government was distinctly Christian. Yep. The government should pursue justice by promoting the natural law, which the Ten Commandments summarize, as much as prudently possible. The government should, along with church and society, help create cultural conditions conducive for, conducive for conversion for the common good. Now, this mm. is important. 
This is not saying you have to be a Christian to live in this country. This is not saying the government can coerce people to be Christians and convert them. We know that the church only does that and the gospel does that, and that must be a person must willingly do that. We, mm -hmm. we can't convert at the sword. This yeah. is not like, um, you know, Islam. Yeah. But the government is, is ordered by God to produce a flourishing society, mm -hmm. right? And a flourishing society is going to be in line with God's revealed word, both in natural revelation and in special yeah. revelation. While the government should promote and to some degree enforce a just social order based on a right understanding of God and man, an example, the government should promote marriage and the family and demote no-fault divorce, adultery, homosexuality, transgenderism, and pornography. Why should they do, do these things? Because we're a Christian nation, mm -hmm. because God says so, and because these things do not promote human flourishing. These things destroy the family, the, yep. the building block of any just society, of yep. any good flourishing society. The government should not force citizens to follow Christianity since only the Spirit's re regeneration produces a heart change. The church's weapon is not the sword, but instead the word, water, bread, and wine. Mm. Okay. Historical examples here. This is the magisterial reformers. Martin Luther, John Calvin, Ulrich Zwingli, John Knox, Richard Hooker, Johannes Althusius, the reformed scholastics, the Church of England, John Gill, American Puritans, John Winthrop, William Bradford, John Cotton, Cotton Mathers, Jonathan Edwards, the basic approach in various colonies and states at the time of America's founding. Um, so, our people, our, <laughs> our people, our people, right? So there is an overlap. Now, if you see these two circles overlapping, think about a one-third overlap. That's how, that's how I like to think of it, about a one-third overlap. You're not talking about, you know, church over state. You're not talking about state over church. Right. You're not talking about totally separate. Mm -hmm. You're talking about these things uh, uh, overlap in appropriate ways. Sure. View number six is religion over government. This is the view that religion should govern the government and direct the government to enforce religion. His, he, he, so think of this as, as religion over top of the government mm -hmm. and telling the government what to do, basically. That's not the Protestant view. That's not our historic Christian mm -hmm. view that we stand on. This position is a particular religion governs the government and directs the government to enforce that religion. Mm -hmm. Some call this view the doctrine of the two swords in which the sword of religion trumps the sword of the government. For medieval Roman Catholics, both swords belong to the Pope, and the Pope directly wields the spiritual sword and indirectly wields the temporal sword by commanding governing authorities. So the Pope could tell the government, go invade that nation mm -hmm. and... Christianize them, mm -hmm. right? And yep. um, though that's not exactly how the Crusades happened, the Crusades happened. The Crusades were sparked by the Mohammedans attacking Christians and massacring thousands upon thousands of them, and then the Christians responded. But there were some instances of the Pope doing such things. In this view, God ordains the government to ensure peace in society, which includes, to some extent, governing church assemblies ensuring that the church maintains orthodoxies. So this is one of the things that the American founders rejected. They didn't want Anglicanism 
to come. They were, they were nervous about Anglicanism coming to the shores. And when it did, they said, sure, you can do it, but no bishops. Mm. We don't want any bishops coming from Britain to tell us because in Britain, the bishops had dual authority. They had mm. dual swords, yeah. right? They could have you thrown in jail mm. for, for not doing certain things. Mm. And, they, and America said, nope, not here. Um, the magistrate might say, the Pope is telling me that John Doe is a heretic, so the government must punish him, mm. right? <clears throat> this, this is uh, kind of a two-swords view of medieval Roman Catholicism. Mm. Again, Catholicism didn't have much of a root in the early founding of America as well. Yeah, and we've already alluded to it, but would we say that um, Islam is, is the same political theology yes very much Sharia so. law and all that Sharia law Islam is mm -hmm. very much the same yeah yeah religion over the government yeah. and then the last view here is government over religion and that is the government governs and enforces religion mm. this position is the government governs religion with a state church mm -hmm. and forces citizens to follow or at least not oppose a particular religion this is, I would say this is the current, um, this is Saudi Arabia, this is Afghanistan, but this is also, I think, modern-day Russia. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> in a sense, the distinction here between government and religion breaks down and that the government becomes a political religion. Yeah. Government and religion are integrated. Historical examples, of course, are ancient Egypt when Pharaoh was oppressing God's people prior to the Exodus, Roman emperor worship, mm -hmm. Erastianism Henry, from Henry VIII, and typically Islam when it's, is a nation, when it's a nation's dominant religion. So view seven is government over religion. Mm -hmm. Now, as we look at these, we've kind of evaluated them and talked about them, you know, in, 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 part, you know, in, in each one. Mm -hmm. And we've, we've said, we think our understanding of Christian nationalism falls in view number five, yeah. that we want, a Christian government, mm -hmm. and we believe we should have a Christian government. Mm -hmm. Now, we're far from that right now, and in order to, here, here's one confusing principle that people think. People think that Christian nationalism or Christian nationalists want to get in all the places of power and then enforce Christianity all the way down. Yeah. Well, that would actually be view number seven. Yeah. Right? Six or seven. Six, yeah. Or six. It'd be six. Be view number six. Religion over government. Right. Right? That's not what we're talking about. Nope. We're only going to be a religious nation. We're only going to be a Christian government if there's mass conversions and the people are calling for that. They're calling for Christian leaders and Christian men and women are willing to step into those roles, mm -hmm. whether it's on the city council or the school board or national politics. Right. But it's not going to be enforced from the top down. It's going to be a conversion from the bottom up. But then, yes, we, if we do get in, the, in, in power, we want to rule Christianly. Right. Which doesn't mean making everybody a Christian. But it does mean banning evil practices, right, that, mm -hmm. that hinder human flourishing. And that the biggest places people are going to feel that, number one, if that actually happened, people would have a whole lot more money in their pocketbook because mm -hmm. taxes would be drastically cut. Oh, yeah. Right, government would get out of a, a whole bunch of places it shouldn't be belong, and, but the the way the place that's going to pinch and the, and the reason 
that people don't want Christians in government is because we are going to enforce a Christian se- sexual ethic. Mm. That's why they don't want us in there. Yeah. Right? The Christian sex- sexual ethic. That divorce is wrong. It hurts families. Mm-hmm. That abortion is wrong. It kills people yeah. and destroys lives and, you know, wreaks terrible havoc in wider society. Homosexuality is wrong and destroys people's souls. On and on, you know, transgenderism, on and on we could go down the sexual revolution that these things brought havoc into our society and they're the reason why so many people are lonely, there's so many broken homes, that America currently leads the world in single-parent homes. Mm -hmm. Like, that's not okay, right? That's not okay. Poverty comes out of that. That's, That's the number one cause of poverty is, a, is a, a single mom trying to raise kids. It's the number mm-hmm. one cause of poverty. So yes, would Christians uh, institute laws to seriously uh, reduce those things? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Would Christians be the Gestapo that knock on people's bedroom doors and find out if they're committing sodomy? No, they're, they're not. That's, you're, you're, you're in your own home. Mm-hmm. But would they, would they uh, you know, contend for non-homo no homosexuality on the screen in public art and public mm. movies and public mu- music yes ab- yeah. absolutely yeah because it's sinful destructive propaganda that's destroying our society mm-hmm. yeah. yep any thoughts from you guys on this taxonomy well, i think as we talk about political theology one recognizing that everything's theological there's there's theological implications to everything and ideas have consequences. So depending on your view of God, depending on your view of, of the church or religion and the state, whatever you hold to is going to have some sort of an output. And hopefully these seven categories reveal, like this is, if you move down the road, here's what you end up with. And we should want to aspire to, to a nation, a civilization, that actually honors God in all things. And, and part of all things is in the civil sphere and so I think thinking about this is actually a worthwhile pursuit and endeavor, reading up on it, um, not only defining the terms, but figuring out what should I be praying for? What should I be working towards? How can I be involved in that? Like you said, whether it's on the local level, if it goes bigger, and who should I be getting behind as we think about elections and all this stuff coming yeah. up? It's never going to happen at the you know, national level if it doesn't first happen Absolutely. At, at the county level, yeah. right? So it's gotta, yeah. it's gotta come from the bottom up. And the other thing is we need to we need to begin thinking in rather than in either or scenarios we need to be thinking in trade-offs. Mm. There's always going to be trade-offs. So if you if you like bristle at the idea that homosexuality could be banned and abortion could be banned and some of these different things could be banned in a Christian nation like you you, you got to understand that everything comes with trade-offs, yeah. right? with maximum hum, human autonomy and human freedom that a person gets to do whatever they want, well, what do you get from that? You get chaos. Mm-hmm. You get broken homes, mm-hmm. right? And so it's not like either, it's not either or just straight up good and bad. It's, there's, there's trade-offs in, involved in this, yeah. right? Yeah. And we have to start thinking in, in categories like that because we get so concerned about, you know, oh, I, you know my nephew is, is homosexual and I can't imagine banning homosexuality and what it would do to him and what it would look at wider society right look look at the repercussions right look where things are headed yeah right like we've got to get into that uncomfortable space of politics Mm -hmm. 
that it's trade-offs. Mm-hmm. You know, you you give up some freedom for some rights, right? That's that's what happens yeah. uh, in, in in politics. Nobody gets what they want, and this is something that's helpful to remember. When we're talking about having a Christian government, which we once had, mm-hmm. we're not talking about anything new. Yeah. Would we like it even better, even more robust than we once had? Absolutely, yes, we would. But we are not saying, we are not conflating Christ's kingdom with any kingdom on earth, okay? We do not believe that we can create a sinless Christian community, Christian mm-hmm. government on this planet. That's not what we're saying. We can't even create a sinless church. We can't even create a sinless family, right? There's going to be, there's still going to be sin involved. There's still going to be problems Mm -hmm. with it, right? Yeah. Yeah. But we need to, I think it's helpful for us to think through these things in these categories. Yep. So anything else? Good. All right. There's, there's, he's got a lot more. He had a whole part three, seven concluding reflections. So it's a long form article. You can find it in the show notes of this podcast. Hopefully this um, sparked some conversation. If you've got any thoughts, please give us um, an email. You can email me at justindean at sacredcitychurch.com. You can email Sam at sam at sacredcitychurch.com. We would love to answer your questions on the podcast. Guys, we really do appreciate you listening to us. Give us a like. Give us a share if this was helpful. And we love you. We pray for you. God bless. (laughs) 